Hello, dear congregants, Pastor Andrew here with an update from the clergy. Due to COVID-19, our recording schedule has been shaken up, but never fear. Thanks to our Patreon subscribers, we've been able to purchase equipment so we can record at home. We're still getting set up, so this week's story is an old one that liturgical director Carl has remixed, and we have an updated church service. We'll be back up and running with a brand new story in two weeks. Stay healthy, stay safe, dear congregants. May the holy grease bless you with one hand and punish with the other. And be sure to wash your own hands thoroughly. The story must be told. Previously on The Story Must Be Told, a stranger named Corey Trusting joined the church. Did someone say Corey? <laughs> a master of deception, he seized control of the clergy and began a reign of terror. Looks like people here might be a little sick of the stale, dry, boring old story Pastor Andrew and Brother Reed tell Despite his nefarious ways, he was beloved by the rest of the congregation. But Corey fled the church with all its money, and, most dastardly, he stole the top-secret Crow-Croa recipe. No, who am I kidding? We're fucked! All hope was lost, until Charles triumphantly returned to the church, riding a talking dog named Woodrow. You can call me Woodrow. Woodrow presented not only the severed hand of Corey Trusting, but retrieved the top-secret Crow-Croa recipe, restoring peace and order. And most importantly, the church's vast, vast riches. We now return for another thrilling installment of The Story Must Be Told. Sisters, brothers, members of the press, a hearty, the story must be told to you. Thank you for attending this unprecedented, momentous award ceremony. We have a new friend who we honor today, Woodrow the Talking Dog. Woodrow, enter. Woodrow, you may approach the altar. Sit, boy. That's a good boy. That's a good boy. To officially recognize your service to the story, I'm proud to say you are the first congregant and the first talking dog to receive the story's distinguished Greasy Boy Service Medal. Mm-hmm. Sister Callista, please present the medal. Come here, boy. Come here. Hop up. Come on, boy. Oh, that's a good boy. Now bow your head. It is the story's great honor to decorate you, you, with the story's distinguished Greasy Boy Service Medal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, let me just, let me just get, shit. The dog collar roll. Uh, uh, okay, okay, <laughs> got it, got it. Wear this honor proud and true. Oh, yes, you will. Oh, yes, you will. 
Woodrow, would you like to say a few words? <laughs> Sorry, I'm excited. I found a waxy boy in the woods. He was cold, scared, and lost. I myself was alone, without a doghouse, and most terribly, without a master. This waxy boy, this Toms, became my ward. I taught him to hunt, to survive, to be courageous. But Chalms taught me too. He taught me to trust. <laughs> to laugh. <laughs> and showed me the true word of the story. Now I am most humbly the story's servant, and the story my master. Cory is gone. His throat ripped, his hand removed, his bowels disemboweled. We'll now open up questions to the press. How did you learn to talk? <laughs> That's correct. Are you from planet Earth? Another fantastic question. Is Cory trusting really dead? <laughs> Wonderful. Now, if I may say, I would like to introduce today's story. This story must be told. The Dreamt City by Stink Butternut. For seven days, I dreamt of the same city. A thriving metropolis of scientific wonder, electric lights, omens, and visions. I know it was a dream, because the crimes and passions I pursued there did not follow me into the light of day. I know it was a dream, because after seven days, the city disappeared, barred my entrance. I know it was a dream, but all the same, if you dropped me this instant on one of the city's less trafficked avenues in the Laotian district, I could yet find my way to Richard's Supper Club with ease. Such reality the dreamt city holds. Why is it that despite being the product of my mind's wandering, its contours, arches, bricks, and doorways hold more texture than real cities I have visited. Philadelphia, Oslo, St. Peter. Perhaps this is simply the way the mind treats a place it dies in. As my physical eyes set close in my bed, in my apartment, in the city I physically resided within, my mental eyes opened. I was seated on a bench in Northway Park, just below the Civic Center, where the town's wealthy gathered for nightly balls and technological demonstrations. At dusk, the park would close, at 5 a.m. it would open, and if I waited long enough, the merchants would give a discount for their cart's wares that would spoil by the next day. Ten-cent hot dogs, nickel creams. Likewise, I was at once aware of my own attributes, dreamt though they may be. I had risen in social rank, here dressed in fine velvet, polished buttons, bearing none of the tattoos prison saw fit to stamp upon me. I could roll up my sleeves here and not worry about neighbors learning of my thievery, battery, nor even the impassioned crimes of my sexy youth. I was clean, and as I was always when clean, I was eager for dirt. Situated in the park, I knew of a whorehouse for gentlemen of my stature just a brief walk away. 
I knew for certain a woman named Esperanza would be waiting for me inside, and that she would grin her crisscrossed hound teeth at me when I entered her and softly coo. Oh, I waited all day for this. I wanted that slanted smile, that lie she likely told all men, but I wanted it for me. I made for the park gate. Hey, bub, got a nickel? Waiting there by the metal bars was a urine-soaked drifter with a bandana tied taut over one eye, greasy hair, leaves and twigs matted underneath, his one good eye looking straight into mine. Being a man of respectable nature, I knew well how to ignore someone so homely, so deserving of the life he led. Hand over my breast pocket, I passed him and felt a wet, viscous demand for attention strike my cheek. He grinned, the remainder of the payload glistening on his lips. How about now? He laughed. I struck him on the side of the neck with a bald fist, and he slid to the ground, wafting the bite of urine into my nostrils. I kicked his ribs. Show some respect, I commanded, spitting on his fallen near corpse. Show some decency, I kicked him again. Only then did I think to wipe my cheek, and I left the man in my wake. Yet our exchange was not complete. The man looked at me with an odd smile. Hiss! The man slithered through clenched teeth. Pump, 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 pump. His throat bullfrogged, and then his hands flapping and jazzing, he showed all his six remaining teeth for a final kaboosh, which he roared like an anarchist's bomb. He smiled to himself and looked away, as though this the closing statement of his devastating rebuttal. I was confounded. What was this supposed to mean? I laughed at him then. The fool, I thought. His mind's been gone for years. Yet that smile of his had such knowledge, despite having so few teeth. Again, there are truths understood as given in a dream, even if they are not understood until waking. By the time I left the park, the Civic Center was emptying of its black-suited attendants and their white, jeweled wives. I parted through couples and trios, catching snippets of conversation. Remarkable! The way the light shone when he hit the switch, Martha's face when he fried that silly dog. The way of the future, a sight of the future. And from one unamused patron, showy, barely ponderous. I didn't need to see the demonstration to understand the gist. Lately, operas and plays had fallen out of trend, replaced by these scientific displays. Coils, wires, air that crackles. I had seen it once and that was enough. I had grown up in the age of panaceas and snake oil, and I knew a sham when I saw it. No, I wouldn't believe in the wonders of the Electron until I met them personally. By this time, the lamplighters were out, and the final purple rays of light were crusting the tops of Northway's manicured lawns. I had mere minutes to reach Esperanza before I would have to navigate the streets in the dark, and given my costly apparel and refined manners, that was something I dreaded in this part of town. Oh, I've been waiting all day for this, I imagined her smiling, her incisors toppling over one another like bridesmaids shoving for a bouquet. It filled my member with blood and my feet with a new, eager rhythm. I would be inside her yet tonight. I ran through a nearby alley for a shortcut, admiring my expert knowledge of the city. 
Just before reaching the exit to the main street, though, a group of children joined together to block the path. Even at a distance, I could see the smudges of soot under their eyes, their tangles of hair, and dirty fingernails. A toothpick of a girl with a heavy overbite walked to the front. What you got? Her co-criminals laughed at her bluntness. She smiled at the show she performed. Nothing for the likes of you, now scatter! They did not heed my words. Instead, they ooed and snickered in conspiracy and moved closer to me. The oldest one couldn't have been 13. Ah, uh, that's no way to speak to us. The girl spat through her overbite and pulled a knife from her waistband. Child or not, I knew what to do when threatened. Help! I screamed. Help, I'm being attacked! Again, the children laughed at me, advancing closer. Help, please! I'm a simple man with an appointment to make. No windows opened. No heads poked around the corner to my aid. I was alone. The toothpick of a girl cleared the gap between us in two steps, and though I could not see the knife in its swing, I felt as it pierced my left thigh. Ah! I cried, feeling every millimeter of metal as it forced the meat of my thigh into newly separate chunks, scraping the bone beneath. Close by, another blade was raised, and I flailed, causing the point to slice a meridian line across my cheek. Help! I cried at half volume, already accepting the turn of events. Take his wallet and shoes, the toothpick ordered, and tiny hands, too many to fight, pulled my ankles apart until I split backwards to the ground. A blade pressed against my throat as they unbuckled my boots. I was helpless in a way I hadn't been since a child. I wanted to cry, scream. My humanity was reduced. Yet in that reduction, something new grew within me. As sudden as a plague, an animal intensity swelled inside me. In the dream, I knew a strange new truth. I could fight them all. My thoughts turned nonverbal, and the anger in the back of my throat roared to full strength. Faster than the child could react, I pulled the blade from my throat, not caring for the way it split my thumbs apart, and followed the blade to the hands that held it. I gripped the frail wrists in my hands and snapped them like twigs, so loud the noise I could barely hear the child's pained gasp as his ability to write was forever evoked. Before my boots could be removed, I condensed my legs and stretched them with spring-like force, kicking the three children grappling the straps in the brow. One filthy brat's nose burst into a crimson spray, and his shrieks carried much further than my own cries. The children with sense about them ran to the shadows, fleeing from the line of my sight, all save for the toothpick. She was the leader and felt responsibility to witness to the end, to stand her ground. It took only one step to clear the gap between us, and with one palm I knocked the blade from her hand, and with the other I pummeled her face, seeking to correct her overbite. Ah! I shouted, animal intensity drawing my focus to a pinpoint, the girl's broken face, as the periphery fell to mist and gray. Ah! I threw her to the ground, and her manner was reduced to that of her age. She sobbed, nursed the shifted pieces of jawbone, and begged the adults in red uniform fast approaching for aid. In my delirium, I had not seen the red shirts approach. Leave the girl alone, shouted one from a cone-shaped device which amplified his voice to a quaking boom. The animal intensity faded, and the pain of my thigh, cheek, and thumbs returned in dizzying pulses. 
My hands rose as my eyes fell. I'm sorry. I was being attacked. I was... Before my story could be told, a club struck my skull. My teeth clanged together so fast a sliver of tongue fell to the ground, blood filling my mouth. Please. I tried, and with another blow, my vision went dark. When I came to, the first I felt was the heat of the bulbs. I was sweating under their gaze, blinded by their display. Next, I heard a babbling of voices, accents rich and sophisticated, all adults quite calm, curious. Yet what finally instilled the panic in my reptile brain was the way I couldn't move my arms, couldn't nudge them even an inch. The binding of my legs only intensified the panic. I struggled to move, and the wooden column bit splinters into my back. I was in the Civic Center. The buttresses and ample seating made that clear. It never had I this vantage point. The seat seemed so high up, the space immense for my position on the stage. Help me! I cried, but the rag in my mouth turned the words to putty. Still, I made all the putty I could, hoping quantity would save me. This started the crowd laughing, a disembodied voice narrated from above. Here we find an outsider of the city recently discovered molesting the local youth. Does the Electron have an answer for him as well? Within the crowd, noble voices demurred, the general tone a positive one. Yes, as many of you have guessed, the Electron has but one response. Yes, I can. From the sides of the stage, the curtains lifted, allowing black-clothed operators to approach with a variety of metal instruments. Long silver skewers, metal tooth clamps, nooses of wires connecting all to a giant, distant generator. Their eyes were bored, their features lacking any sense of personality, and with rote discipline they applied the machinery to my dangling skin. A rod was inserted into my rectum with surprising ease. A noose of cable threaded about my neck and a clamp secured over my lips. I was mute, penetrated, and scared. Please, I tried to think loud enough for the words to take substance. I am no stranger. I live in this city. I have always lived in this city. I am one of your patrons. Yet, even if passion alone could generate sound of these thoughts, the hum of the generator would have drowned out even the most sincere of pleas. Instantly, the noose, the skewer, and the clamps stung with coursing power, and I tasted metal, hot and dripping on my tongue. My back straightened, my muscles convulsed, yet this was only the prologue to the real story. The machine was just turning on. Eyes from the crowd passed over the stage, taking in the novelty of the sparking wires and strange instruments, but from the dark of the audience, a single eye gleamed. It was directed right at my own, and below the shining pupil was a mouth grinning with all six of its teeth. In time with the real sounds, I remembered the onomatopoeia of the drifter. Hiss! Sounded the generator as it charged to full potency. Bum, 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 bum! Droned the circuits as they groaned into position. In this moment, the dream felt fully real, reality fully forgotten. This was my life, and this would be my death. Remember, friends, what the Electron can do for us, the disembodied voice prophesied. The drifter began to laugh. <laughs> A switch was pulled. A caboose! The current spasmed through my body. My hair did burn. 
I could not hear my own screams, deafened as they were by the snapping of the electron, consuming my every morsel. Esperanza would sleep alone tonight. Then, I awoke. It was the first time I had died in the city. It would not be the last. The story must be told. The story must be told. Meanwhile, not far away. Robo hand activate. Deception system 2000 activate. Robo Cory boot up mode uh, activate. This is an overwood row. I'll get you. And the croak grow up recipe will be mine. Tune in in two weeks for another thrilling installment of The Story Must Be Told. That was The Story Must Be Told. And yes, yes I did. I saw you. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TSMBTPod. And don't you dare deny it. July 31st, 1983, I saw you start a fire. We don't take advertising, and we do that for you. Help us somehow keep striving forward by joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash TSMBT. And I asked myself, why are you starting a fire outside ye old town pornography store? For $5.22, you gain access to the 522 Club, a goofy little podcast we put out on the weeks between official stories. It's because they didn't honor my customer value rewards card, you tell me. And gosh, if I don't start splashing that gasoline right by your side. We'll be back with a fresh story in two weeks. Until then, remember... Publish and distribute pornography, your priority is first and foremost the customer. Jesus. The story must be told. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 